This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. Monday marked our first conversation with the Zoomer squad since the Ontario election, which, as we all know, ended with a bigger majority re-election for Premier Doug Ford and the Progressive Conservatives. Ahead of the election, many voters, in fact, many callers to fight back, expressed unhappiness with the way the governing Ford Tories let the health care and long-term care systems become overwhelmed during the pandemic and did not trust his ability to fix them. But elect him they did, and now we wait and see if Doug Ford follows through on his seniors' platform. While filling in for Libby, I was joined by Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. I first asked David if he feels that affordability issues around groceries and gas trumped elder issues. I'm not sure that any one set of issues trumped any other set. I think there was a general contentment to let it rest in Ford's hands. Uh, I think the low turnout by default is a grudging content with the way things are overall. I don't think any one issue... Uh, either drove people to the polls to vote for him or certainly didn't drive anybody to vote against him. No, that is very true. D- Daryl, your thoughts on the re-election? Uh, and did it turn out the way that you thought it would as a pollster? Uh, in, in terms of the polling numbers, exactly as we thought it would turn out. In fact, uh, our final poll that we put out the day before is almost exactly what the, the result was. So there was no surprise. Um, the level of turnout was a surprise. Uh, I think that uh, um, 43% is shockingly low. I think it might even be an historic record mm-hmm. for Ontario. So that was a, a bit of a surprise, but it didn't affect the uh, uh, the, um, the accuracy of what the polling was saying about, about the outcome. Uh, and basically, David is right. I mean, if this was an issues-driven campaign, if people were out there voting because they uh, particularly focused on uh, one specific issue or they had a real sense of what the parties were offering up, then the result probably wouldn't would have been different. Uh, but as it was, people were just basically saying, look, uh, status quo is fine for now. We've had enough change over the space of the last while. I'd really like to settle down, and I think our government needs to settle down. So, uh, Doug Ford, you get a, a free pass, and the Progressive Conservatives get a free pass this time around. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll get one the next time around, but at this point, uh, people are satisfied enough. In fact, 55% of the people who we interviewed said they were satisfied with the government, which is well, you know, 14, point, 14 points higher than those that said they actually, uh, 14 points higher than the, the percentage that actually voted for them. So um, he was in a really, really strong position. People knew what the outcome was going to be uh, pretty much from the very start of the campaign. The numbers really didn't move. And uh, it was a campaign almost like it didn't happen. Daryl, were you able to drill down on that vote of confidence? Why 41% of the people who did vote voted for Doug Ford? Yeah, I think it was just more of an identification that uh, 
on the issues that they were good on, which were mostly economic, they were good on them. And on the issues that they weren't seen as necessarily as good on, for example, healthcare, managing the COVID crisis, some of the issues that relate to, I would say, you know, things like inequality and that kind of thing, that they were in the game enough that it wasn't enough to defeat them. So none of those issues that were ones where they were significantly behind um, were things that were top of mind for people as they were voting in the election campaign. So, for example, on health care, uh, uh, Andrew Horvath and the, uh, and the NDP were well ahead on that issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Doug Ford, you know, was, uh, you know, in the game, at least. I mean, even though the, uh, the NDP was well ahead, but not in such a way that it became the ballot question and people said, I have to vote for the NDP. The reason we know that is we see the results. David, do you want to comment on that? I, I completely agree. I think an interesting uh, thing that hit me on this is that um, there could be issues where the voters don't think anybody can really solve it with policy statements during the election. Healthcare is a very complicated issue, even if you don't like what he did. Uh, I would argue that the NDP was massively the biggest losers in the election. I think they've got a real question to ask themselves about why didn't this resonate more strongly. Um, I think the voters think healthcare is a tough nut to crack. They're not very happy with Ford, but I don't think they feel there's some magic answer sitting out there and how come Ford doesn't have it, you know, and right. she does. They didn't see it that way. My conversation on Monday with David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media, and Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Monday was also the 78th anniversary of D-Day, when Allied troops landed on the beaches of Normandy, France, which helped defeat Hitler and led to the end of World War II. Honorary Lieutenant General Richard Romer was there and now is a national treasure and iconic Canadian. He joined me on Fight Back to recall the events of June 6, 1944. I became a fighter pilot because I wanted to fly from the time I was about five years old. The war came along, and uh, on my 18th birthday, I joined the Royal Canadian Air Force in London, Ontario, actually, and then set out to learn how to fly with the Air Force in the summer of 42, 43, and got my wings in commission. So it uh, it was an objective that I'd had for a long time. Was flying everything you thought it would be and in the environment of the war, was it everything you thought it would be? Well, it was the environment of the war, and it, it certainly I did 138 uh, combat missions, getting shot at all the time at low level. And I uh, got hit only once, but I flew through clouds of what we call flak. But I was only 19 and 20, so it didn't bother me that much. Uh, but at any event, I did, as you can tell, I did survive. <laughs> you did, that is for sure. That day, June 6th, 1944, D-Day. 78 years. Yes. And w- when you hear that, w- I mean... What do you think when you hear that it was that long ago? We're approaching the 80th anniversary. 
Well, it was a long time ago, no question about that, but the human brain is such, at least mine is, I can still see the images from those days very clearly, some better than others, but the reality is the human brain is a magic place to pick up images from 70, 80 years ago or even more and see them very clearly. Some parts are obscured, but the reality is it's just a magic uh, talent that we human beings have. And I hope that all the people who may be listening to this can share the magic of what the memory does. And memory can be defective and, uh, and not right sometimes, but by and large... When a day like today occurs, and you're part of it, D-Day, the D-Day of opening up the attack on the German forces in France, a monumental day of hundreds of craft and thousands of troops, it's the kind of thing that stays with you if you took part in it, and it certainly stays with me. Before we let you go, and uh, this has just been a marvelous moment in my career, so thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to know your thoughts about the war in Ukraine, Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. What do you, what do you see as the way out of this? Uh, I, I don't know that I have a way out of it at the moment, but there is going to be a war, way out of it one way or the other. What is happening in Ukraine is a lesson for Canada. We are people who don't pay any attention to defense you know, in the sense that we should. And the reality is Canadians should wake up to the fact that Russia sits on our northern boundary. Our, our northern Arctic boundary of the Northwest Passage is uh, between us and Russia. They are ruthless as can be. And we should be upping our defense maximum. And I'd like somebody to stand up in the House of Commons and say, defense, for heaven's sake, get new airplanes. Get the defense going again. It is a serious, serious business for Canada and its immediate future. So that's what I would say. Honorary Lieutenant General Richard Romer, who is also the focus of the cover story in the June-July issue of Zoomer magazine. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, nightmare stories about travel into and out of Pearson Airport continue, while the federal liberals promise a fix. But for when? We will discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. For weeks, we've been talking about lengthy waits and unacceptable delays at Toronto's Pearson Airport. 
As an example, an overseas flight arrives at the gate two hours late. Then Customs tells the staff on that plane they are only allowing 10 travelers off the plane every 10 minutes or 50 off every 30 minutes, which increases the time an aircraft uses, and that in turn delays the departure of the next flight. So where does the fault lie in this devolving situation at Pearson? Earlier this spring, Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra blamed passengers for being out of practice with travel routines at the airport. But now he seems to be turning his attention to fixing staffing issues that are affecting traveler flow. Dr. Gabor Lukash is founder and president of Air Passenger Rights, and Monette Pasher is interim president of the Toronto Airports Council. They joined Libby on Wednesday to discuss what going on at Pearson Airport? There are a number of issues at play here at a number of different touch points within the airport. You know, airports are complex ecosystems, and I think we all have a part to play in in creating a smooth travel journey for passengers. And and quite frankly, we have a lot of work to do. Um, So there's um, a lot of work underway, as the minister alluded to, and there's a lot more work to do, certainly at our border as well. Um, There's a lot of public health mandates that are still in place that we need to move forward on as traffic rebounds. Okay, so you're saying that it is the some of the COVID mandates that the federal government imposed, and which workers are so much in shortage? Is it the federal workers at the border agents, or is it the security people? Um, where is that bottleneck because of a labor shortage? Yeah. So we're seeing a bottleneck for the labor shortage at a security screening, um, which is as you're leaving, as you're boarding a plane. So um, we were short about they've hired 400 screening officers in the last week and hoping to be back to a full staff complement by the end of the month. So certainly making some headway there and things are slowly improving in terms of the security screening bottleneck. Um, but that was due to staff shortage. Um, we're also seeing a staff shortage in various places. I mean, throughout the tourism industry, throughout the aviation industry, and certainly at our airports. And and there's a staff shortage for baggage handlers as well. And we're seeing that um, at airports throughout the country. Gabor, uh, we're hearing a lot about flights delayed, flights canceled, passengers missing their connections because of this. Uh, So what are their rights? Well, first of all, uh, we have to ask ourselves, what has happened in terms of sharing of information? Because what I'm hearing is very valuable information that the uh, security checkers, for example, are not even back to their full complement. If so, was that information of, of their capacity and throughput limits shared with the airline, shared with the public in a timely manner? That's a question that I'm very keen on knowing the answer to, because passengers' rights depends on whether airlines had prior knowledge that this would be a problem. If they did, then what we are seeing now are fully within the airline's control who sold more tickets than they are able to handle. And you know, if, if the airport provided advance notice to the airlines that we can handle only so many passengers per hour and they sold twice as many tickets, say, then it's very, somewhat very similar to overbooking situation. On the other hand, if somehow airlines were kept in dark, then it would be likely to be outside the airline's control. But then it raises the question of responsibility of CASA, of CBSA, of 
airport authorities as well for failing to alert airlines that they don't have the necessary capacity. So the answer to passengers' rights somewhat depends on what actually happens, and that's one of the reasons that I'm so keen on finding out. How much of this is on the airlines? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to the challenges that uh, Air Canada was facing over the last couple of days, but what I can talk about is Um, You know, when the system gets bottlenecked like this, it has a cascading effect. And I think people need to keep that in mind. Um, Pearson has noted that there was a ground service delay program put in place by NAV Canada over the last few days. And that's our nation's um, air navigation service provider, which means that flights had to be delayed and canceled. And when that happens and, and it keeps happening, then there's a cascading effect that happens and, and um, employees time out. And then that, you know, it, it sends that trickling through the system, um, which created a, a very challenging couple of days at Pearson. And um, it was really compounding a problem that already existed. Monette Pasher, interim president of the Toronto Airports Council, and Dr. Gabor Lukash, founder and president of Air Passenger Rights. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Still with travel, one of the key pieces of advice passengers are encouraged to embrace is to make sure you have insurance if you are taking a trip including protection from holdups you might experience if your bags are delayed. Libby continued the conversation with Paul Chin Allion, a travel advisor with New Wave Travel, and Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure, Inc. So, you know, again, I talk about this as a livelihood, but until it happens to you, does it really become important? So, sure enough, my bag. They are delayed for more than six hours. I call my office. They go, walk me through what I'm covered for for baggage. They confirm that if it's more than six-hour delay for baggage, you are entitled to $900 each for essentials and da-da-da and da-da-da. Well, I was thrilled to hear it. Even though I'm in the business and I sell it, I wasn't sure exactly the amount. And we just did that. We went out and got clothing and bathing suits. We were in a beautiful resort in Santorini with a pair of shorts on for two and a half days. Well, that, that needs to say can wreck your three-day trip there. So we did mm-hmm. what we had to do. And I will be reimbursed by the insurance because I bought trip interruption insurance that had a baggage element to it. But if I didn't, I'd be out the money and I don't know who I'd go after, whether it be LL, whether it be Sky Express or whoever. It's just oh, no. nobody, nobody takes responsibility from what I can see. And mm-hmm. and uh, have you tried to collect yet? I, I came back last night at, at 8.30 at night. Like, I'm working on seven hour in advance time right now. So, so I have put in a claim, and I got the claim paperwork, and now I'm getting together all my receipts and then proof that the bags were delayed more than six hours, and I will get it all back. I actually have what's no proof, issue in getting it, so that's wh- good. What's the, What constitutes proof that the bags were delayed? Oh, I've got a... a um, uh, notification from, you know, that when you come into the airport and your bags aren't there, you go to make a claim of some sort. So I've got that documentation. And then I have the hotel who went and got my bags for me two and a half days later, wrote a letter that we picked these bags up on Saturday night, which was two and a half days later. So I think I'm covered with basically everything. Plus, you know what? My broker, me, <laughs> will be my advocate <laughs> here and make sure I get paid. Paul, What's your advice to people who maybe have booked, first of all, have lots of people, I'm assuming, booked trips with you for this summer? When is the peak going to hit? What are you telling them? 
Well, the peak usually starts from middle, uh, second, third week of June. And people are so pumped up and ready to travel that, you know, they're just going to have to deal with this situation. And my only advice is, you know, do online check-in 24 hours before and get yourself to the airport three to four hours ahead of time. More like four hours these days. Hmm. Yeah, like I'm leaving this Sunday for the U.S., and even though it's just a short flight, I am actually going to the airport much longer than the, the duration of the flight. So I'm planning to go four hours before. Four because hours to go to the States? Yeah, because I can't afford to miss the flight. I'm going for a convention. Do you expect people to cancel when they hear about this hassle? Um, no, I haven't experienced any of that as yet. I mean, people are, are concerned, people are frustrated because it's on the news every day, every night. Uh, but no, so far, luckily, I haven't had anyone cancel for that reason. People want to travel. Marty, what should people make sure th- this time around that they have in their travel insurance? Definitely trip cancellation in the event they get COVID prior to departure or a scary enough to, after a recent announcement today about monkeypox. You got to worry about that maybe being a possibility and trip interruptions to cover cost expenses and new airfare home. So those are the two elements and medical as always, because you can't go anywhere without it. Not only the cost of airfare and everything gone up, food, my God, eating at these places now is becoming a very expensive ordeal from what I could see in my most recent trip. And you forgot to mention the baggage insurance that that's that's covering you for nine hundred bucks. Yeah, baggage is included under the trip interruption portion of this particular product. So yeah, make you sure can it's buy there. baggage separately too. But this was part of it. Yeah. Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure Inc., and Paul Chin Allion, a travel advisor with New Wave Travel. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Anne in Toronto called about a recent air traveler experience. Yeah, on uh, May the 9th, I left for Florida. I was going to Tampa, so I went to Terminal 1. Um, I was given lots of notification even before I arrived, That especially when that was just the week before was when the mess happened, um, when everybody was lined up for so many hours. And even Air Canada was late leaving because there were 12 people that were still stuck, and they waited for them, and they uh, we were only half an hour late. They increased the flight. Everybody's saying, oh, it's this and that. Quite frankly, there's everything siloed. They don't talk to each other. The airport runs. It has all of these airlines that pay fees to them, and the airport should be advised of well in advance of all of these changes. Blaming it on the airline, well, then you've got a lot of airlines to blame. 
Barry in North York phoned about how he voted in the Ontario election on June 2nd and why. I voted green. A number of people, including my friend, said, well, no, that's a wasted vote. So she wanted to vote green this time, but she voted strategically and voted liberal because she didn't want to see PCs in. I even thought of that, but then I thought, no, I'm going to vote my conscience. People say, well, they'll never get in. Uh, Well, they don't expect to get in, I'm sure, because they're not um, utopian um, thinking. But the more seats we get, the more power we have. And you can bet your boots, I'm going to be watching the government to honor their promises, especially with what uh, the premier said the other day. We are going to honor all our promises. I even contacted my MPP the other day about home care. We've really got to get more involved now. We really have to hold their feet to the fire. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is John in Peterborough, who phoned to say the way he would like to see the voting process change going forward. This system we use is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. When you look at the amount of the popular vote that Doug Ford got, I don't care which one of them gets it, and the amount of seats they get, it makes no mathematical sense. Now, here's the thing. Everyone pays taxes at the same rates for whatever they make, but they don't have the same say. If you vote in this province or in this country for other one, anyone other than the first two people that were in that vote, you should have stayed at home. Your vote never counted. And there's no one there will tell me different. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. And call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fightback. The best of Fightback is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.